game changer, builder of repeatable processes, operationalist, and technologist. These are just some of the words and phrases I took away from my conversation with Kristen Schmidt of RIA Oasis. Kristen has such a passion around helping financial advisors build efficient and operationally sound businesses that she started her own consulting firm solely focused on financial advisors. After spending time working as an operations manager and then an implementation manager, Kristen spent time being an independent consultant with United Capital before going off on her own to really help advisors scale. Kristen understands the needs of leveraging technology, but more importantly, the need of getting your processes in order first. This conversation isn't just engaging, it's packed with actionable takeaways. So be sure to stay tuned to this episode of Bridging the Gap. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Kristen, how are you? All in from the Good Midwest. Morning. Good morning. <laughs> from the cold Midwest, but we're trying to uh, we're trying to melt away all the snow. There you go. The frozen tundra. Given you're a Packers fan, I thought I had to throw that in there. Yes, uh, thank you. I'm smiling now. What uh, What's your what, what do you think the Packers are going to do this year with a new coach and new everything? Are you oh, guys going to be okay? Yeah, you know, we're always okay. We are avid fans no matter what. We need to be okay. All we have is football here in the Midwest. Right. There's not much more to look forward to. So um, it's exciting. There's buzz. And so, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers just tells us to relax. So we'll be okay. Yeah, you'll be okay as long as he's at the <laughs> helm, right? And uh, yeah. and are you an owner of the of the Packers? I know they sold some shares <laughs> to everybody. Are you an owner? Actually, yeah, I am not. My family is. So I do have the opportunity to go to games and it's definitely in the family. Um, I have two children, so they are currently on the list, which is kind of, um, you know, when you have a child, you tend to locally put your your child's name on the list. I believe they have a 40 to 50 year waiting list right now. So I'm hoping that by the time my kids retire, they might have the opportunity to be put (laughs) in the lottery. Hey, there's always holding out hope. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. exactly. That's good. It's good for their kids. It's good for your grandkids, right? You're always just planning ahead. In this industry, we talk about retirement planning. I'm doing it for my kids. Right, right. right. Now, I'm going to be selfish here for a second because you mentioned, uh, we talked a little bit before about, uh, so you you have rods. I mean, you you basically got your spine fused 15 years ago, so you're always standing. Yeah. I'm always standing. So yeah, as I as I talked to you today, I'm standing at a, a standing desk. You know, uh, Michael Kitches is always a big proponent of that and has talked about Veradesk and different uh, offerings. So yeah, um, I have rods and screws in my back, had a spinal fusion done about 15 years ago and am now very, very healthy. Everybody always has their backstories. But yeah, yeah. so um, I stand all day and I enjoy, I enjoy it, have a full workstation that's that uh, supports the full standing motion. Um, but I'm also Italian. I use my hands a lot. So yeah. it all works. It yeah. all works. I can respect the using the hands a lot. Everybody, yes. Marissa's <laughs> always in my ear telling me to move your hands away from your face. <laughs> Video doesn't yes. like hands in front, but That's my, exactly it. my self, my selfish con- or a question is because I'm a big Tiger Woods golf fan. So I grew up watching him golf and everybody knows about his back and his fusion. Yeah. So are you, you're, you have no back pain. I'm trying to see where if Tiger's going to be healthy for the next ah. you know five years because you have a fusion. This is the first person I've talked to that's right. had a fusion. 
Is he going to be okay? Do you think, yeah, Doc? Right. Doc Kristen? Well, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. You know, I get a lot of questions about it. But it is such a personal endeavor when you have back pain, and I think if you ever mention it, everybody has some type of story or has had the experience. I still do experience pains. I still have some complications, but considering um, the pain I was in prior to the surgery, it's very livable, and I now have a quality of life, and I think that's why people go through it. Now, I have two sides for you. One is my orthopedic surgeon always says you can lift a feather wrong, right? So oftentimes people say, oh, what happened? Which could happen for Tiger, right? What happened? We all wanted to know. He could literally barely move or just take a step and still have something happen. We mm -hmm. all could. Um, for him, you know, his with range of motion is what you worry about with fusions. Mm -hmm. And so is he pushing the limit of that range of motion as he tries to stretch and be healthy versus on the edge of hurting yourself. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to leave it to the real doctors. I just play one on a podcast. But uh, for now, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if it's his back or if it's head that's getting him in the game. So hopefully he can pull through this. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I thought I had to do that. That's a little bit of my I sports in me. So <laughs> I want to transition, though, to really what this is all about and what you're so yeah. great at, which is talking about technology, financial advisors, the space, and really helping advisors grow is is yeah. where you're helping and I'm I'm going to just get straight to the point with a loaded question that uh, really kind of allows us to just dig deep into this discussion is you talk with financial advisors and many of them every day you you're you you have uh, many connections in this space and you help them and uh, what's the biggest challenge facing financial advisors today let's just start with the big one right sure. there that's a good question. Um, I would say the biggest struggle is keeping up with the technology. You know, there is great technology offerings out there, but keeping up with the Joneses is really difficult. I mean, let's use just the past three and a half weeks with everybody I'm sure is talking about all of the buyouts that have occurred, right? What do these buyouts mean? Uh, InvestNet bought out Portfolio Center from Schwab about three weeks ago. And then last Thursday, we heard InvestNet bought Money Guide, uh, Money Guide Pro. And so those are just two examples of the past three and a half weeks where when you're sitting with technology, either you own one of those, you know, company subscriptions, or you were looking at it and researching it. And the idea is, what does it mean for me? So I would say keeping up with the technology, who owns it, what those functionalities are, where their integrations mm -hmm. are heavy and mm -hmm. functional, and how that can ultimately create efficiencies in your firm. You know, I, I joke sometimes saying, you know, technology is changing like we change our socks. So having to keep up with that is really difficult for firms. It's a full-time job to do your research and due diligence, which is why I'm here. Yeah. And I, and, and it's a need, right? Because, you know, yeah. I, we think about it is that many advisors have an inability of reaching or reaping the full potential of the technologies they're already using, right? right? You, you, right. Let's just take a CRM as a core technology. Mm -hmm. And they're not reaping the fullest potentials of that. They're mainly using it as a uh, glorified address and notebook, right, mm -hmm. is what they're using it for. Yeah. Um, why is that the case, in your opinion? Sure. And And is that trend starting to shift, do you think? Or... Mm -hmm. Are we still stuck in our ways so much that it's like, ah, I just don't want to deal with my technology? How do you see it from your seat? 
Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, I call uh, a lot of firms, I call it, they use it like a Rolodex, right? The old school Rolodex, it holds name, address, phone number information, but nobody's really extending that use towards adding notes, creating communications and logs and correspondence, and then obviously using it for workflow tools um, and all of the other features that these CRMs are coming out with. I am seeing a trend away from the Rolodex and firms wanting to reap all the benefits from it. Um, And I'm seeing that in a couple of areas. One is there is a compliance and regulatory requirement for firms to be documenting what they're doing with their clients, uh, whether it is correspondence or attention, right? How much have we reached out to our clients? What did we talk about when we talked and met with them? So the SEC is definitely, you know, for the independent RIAs coming down hard in wanting to see that information and they don't want to see it on a yellow pad anymore. They'd Mm -hmm. like to see it within a system, have reports generated and creating an output. Um, But beyond that, I am seeing advisors and planners starting to shift towards focusing on the value of the relationship with the client, right? So if we talk about the value advisors and planners bring to their client relationships, we have to talk about the relationship needing attention. Mm -hmm. If you need to give your clients attention on a regular basis, that means you need a repeatable process. You need something somewhere telling you, don't forget to call the Smiths. Don't forget to schedule with the Johnsons, right? That system is a CRM. And finally, advisors are starting to realize, oh, I could put in a recurring reminder to call the Smiths. Right. Or I could trigger a scheduling meeting workflow to remind me to call you know, the Johnsons and schedule that annual appointment for July. And I think that's where we're starting to see CRM trending occurring um, so that that proactive approach is being managed to value that relationship. And I mean, that kind of goes into what you we've talked about a lot in terms of the idea of repeatable processes, right? Of figuring out what those repeatable processes are and then helping to build them into a technology so that you can relieve your mind share of having to remember, oh, I got to call the Smiths right. in three months or three weeks or next right. week, whatever it may be. So talk to me about how, I want to kind of go down this a little bit different path, but how you think about building repeatable processes for your clients, right? You go in and they say, you know, here's my mess, clean it mm-hmm. up. Um, sure. How are you going about starting that process to build repeatable processes? And then what are the top two repeatable processes that you say are not a, a nice to have, but every advisor right. needs to have them? And I think you alluded to some of them right there earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think the biggest pushback on workflows is that it's hard to write them. Mm -hmm. Truth be told, if I asked you to write in a system how you get ready for work in the morning, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's arduous to have to write those steps down, right? It's just easier to just do it. But for firms that are growing or for owners that want to start to delegate responsibility, right, and start to grow and um, to really be those rainmakers, you have to have repeatable processes so that the rest of your staff are accountable. The two popular, only two, huh? The two popular workflows within a firm that I see, I'll go on both sides of the spectrum. One is pretty simple, move money. Let's talk about a very simple request we get from clients, right? The Smiths need $5,000 out of their joint account. Please send it overnight. That request could require three to five people in your office. Although that sounds silly, um, what are we doing? We're first taking in the request. We're checking to see if they have standing instructions on file at the custodian. If they don't, we need to get a form. After that, we're checking for cash. 
if we don't have cash, we're creating mm-hmm. trades. That's a different person in the office. After we create trades, somebody needs to put in the request. I could keep going. We all do this, right? But that could have been three different people in the office. So identifying the order in which it needs to happen and then making sure the right people are doing those things within 24 hours, right? We want to get the client the money. Mm -hmm. That process is necessary. Um, A secondary process that I think is really important is scheduling uh, the client meetings along with the client meeting process. It's undervalued how important that workflow is. It's not just scheduling the meeting, it's preparing for it. Mm -hmm. It's documenting the meeting notes and then all the aftermath that comes from a meeting, right? The tasks you need to assign people as follow-ups, the tasks you might need to remind your clients to do for you Mm -hmm. after the meeting. It's a very large workflow and I think firms undervalue um, the need for that type of workflow. And, And I guess, you know, going through this, talking about the CRM, you know, you, there's there's people that on the one side that say, well, we grew without having that, and I think the argument without having all these repeatable processes, right? Sure. That's that's one thing, and then and it's and then they're like, well, it's it's like kind of a you can't teach an old dog new trick idea, right? So mm-hmm. how do you because with workflows you got to be in the CRM, right? When yeah. you got to be using it, uh, you do. How are you getting people that have that pushback to you? Mm-hmm. How are you getting them over the hurdle to start getting them into the CRM more and more, right? Sure. Because that's a challenge, I think, yeah. every day. Yeah, you're right. It's a it's a great point. If you don't know how to use your CRM, I'm not saying you have to be a super user with a superhero cape on, but if you don't understand all its functionalities, then it's going to be hard to jump right into workflows. So what I do is help firms optimize their CRMs. So what that means is I look at the data and give you tips and tricks on how you could be better utilizing it. And then I also share training with you on how to utilize it and really take it in. You don't have, like I said, you don't have to be a super user, but I at least show you the best parts of the CRM. um, And we do what I call, you know, quick wins, right? Things that will bring value to you right away as you're using the CRM. I mean, I can't tell you how many firms get so excited when I show them a button they didn't know it was there before. Or instead of having to click eight times to get somewhere, you can click two. It's those little things that really make your staff love the systems more. And that's the difference between usage and adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the second thing is that firms really need to understand that you cannot have workflows without first identifying your client base. Segmentation is so important, right? We in our industry identify our clients simply by AUM. And it's not fair. Just because they have a certain amount of money does not mean that they want or need your certain amount of attention, right? Mm -hmm. And just because they have a certain amount of AOM doesn't mean they might not be a center of influence for your firm or have a different role within your firm. So I also look at the CRM as a way to segment, meaning the Johnsons maybe are a platinum client, but they'd like a service model that's maybe a level three or a tier three. They don't need the high touch, right? right? Versus a client who maybe is a you know gold or silver client, but really needs that high touch because they just need a little handholding for the first year to, to create that trust of the relationship. So creating that segmentation in the CRM, identifying that then allows you to build workflows based mm-hmm. not only on their assets, 
but also on the relationship and the service you want to give them. Yeah, and I think you, you hit on something there with segmentation, which has been talked about in this industry for a long period of time, right? You've got to be able to segment your clients. And it's somewhat been talked about so much that it, it can sometimes to some people be looked at as like a dirty word, right? It, I don't, all my clients are the same. I want to treat them exactly. all the same. Like, I don't want to right. say one person is better than the other. And and I hear that. I, I can appreciate that, you know, being in mm-hmm. the industry. Um, but segmentation's hard, right? And, yeah. and, it, and, and because it's, you got to do a lot of deep diving in terms of, it's kind of like building, uh, I relate it to like marketing, right? When you build out yeah. your personas and you have different personas and you have a different marketing strategy or marketing kind of context for each persona, mm-hmm. right? You can't just say, hey, we love to help people with their finance, financial uh, servicing to everybody. Some people want to know about paying off debt. Others want to know about income investing, right? Mm-hmm. How do you help an advisor? How do you suggest an advisor start the segmentation process, right? Mm-hmm. How many groups is too many? How many is too few? Yeah. What are some of the data points they should be looking at? You know, maybe you start with AUM and uh, characteristics, but how do you gather that information? That is a big process. And I think sometimes we all talk about it like it's so easy. So how could someone get started with that? Yeah, absolutely. And it, actually, it's ironic. I just wrote, wrote a blog post about this about a month ago. And um and got a lot of feedback from it. I believe in the way that I approach it with my clients is separating that AUM from the service model, right? And I think we have to remember just because you want to meet with your clients four times a year because you've always met with them quarterly, it doesn't mean your clients want or need that, right? Mm -hmm. Some of your clients might have such a strong relationship that they don't need that high touch, which means you're, I hate to say, wasting your valuable time when you could be meeting with them biannually, or you could also be having a 15-minute phone call instead of doing all the prep that takes in your whole staff for a two-hour meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'll flip the tables a little. If I was a client that walked into an RIA firm with $2 million and the firm said, we'd like to meet with you quarterly, I would not hire them. I'd Mm -hmm. go find another advisor because I'm a single mom of two kids who runs a business. So my approach, what I would like is no news is good news. Let's meet once a year and talk. And if I need you, be there for me, right? Mm -hmm. So that type of service model is very different and doesn't necessarily match the traditional AUM servicing model. But you're right. When firms need to determine what services a client gets, it often changes the services they offer within their business, Mm -hmm. right? How often have we heard a firm say, um, well, that client is financial planning only. Okay. So you offer Financial planning only? Well, no, I don't advertise it, but for that client, I'm just doing it. Okay, well, that disrupts the apple cart in a sense of your services. Mm -hmm. It has no model to it, and you can't repeat it because you're just doing it for one or two clients. So it literally stops you in your tracks because you rebuild it every time Mm -hmm. just for the Smiths or the Johnsons. So I think a lot of times why segmentation can be a little scary is as you go through those building those models – you might even change your services at a holistic level for your business. Mm -hmm. And that's where somebody like me comes in and other consultants that are great in the industry where we actually step back and say, let's step back from the CRM. Let's look at your business model, Mm -hmm. right? And your growth potential and all of those things that create your services to grow. Mm -hmm. And what do you want to be offering your clients? Then you can come back and start building your segmentation again. So it's very common to start on a template of segmentation move towards actual business model conversation and then come back to building it 
and applying it in a serum. Yeah, it's a, it's somewhat like they don't want to start peeling the layers because they don't want to necessarily, they know kind of what's on the inside, but they don't want to necessarily see it. And yep. they don't want someone else to see it uh, from that standpoint, which I can understand, right? It, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you're growing, why do I need to do something different? It's working right now. The thing is, is that you don't necessarily, like you have the advantage. And I always use this example when I was meeting with individual clients of saying, you know, I'm telling you everything's going to be okay in retirement. And it's kind of like, I don't like to ever relate financial advising to be going to the doctor, but it's the best example that I can use is that when you go to the doctor and uh, they tell you, you're like, my chest hurts. And they're like, yeah, you'll be fine. Just take this medicine. You're like, well, I've never had this before. Like, are you sure I'm okay? And you ask all these questions, like, just go and you'll be fine. It's the same thing with advisors when they're telling someone that you'll be okay in retirement. They only go through it once. They've never seen it before. We have the benefit because we've seen it from thousands of different families, just like you have the benefit of seeing it from mm-hmm. a thousand different RIs that right. you got to do it now because I've seen when it worked and when it doesn't work. Yeah. And so right. um, I think that that makes a, a ton of sense to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a challenge for advisors to, to, to go after because they don't want to see like what's underneath the, underneath the hood necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. And I think having somebody that you can talk through it with, I, I, you brought up a very good point. Um, I am agnostic to technology and to firms, so I come in assessing what a firm needs based on their business model, their services, their growth potential, their skill set capacity, right? But at the same time, if you're not ready to talk about how you will grow, as you mentioned in the beginning, then your services will continue to be non-repeatable, right? Mm -hmm. You will continue to build everything out just per client, which is fine. That works. It just doesn't allow you to grow. You'll just always kind of be stuck there. Mm -hmm. Um, I also agree with you in in the doctor scenario. Um, You know, we're seeing a lot of things kind of being uh, compared to other service industries, right? Because Mm -hmm. being a service provider, even myself for my own company, I don't have a t-shirt that I'm selling that I can put on Amazon and people get the t-shirt and they can hold it and smell it and feel it and wear it, right? We have a service which just makes somebody feel content, safe, trusting, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we forget in this industry that these people, our clients, are coming to us with their life nest eggs, with their life's work and asking a stranger to take care of it hopefully towards their goals, right? So sometimes also I turn CRM as a technology, which is obviously very dry and non-emotional, into your business is emotional and your services that you're providing is emotional, but there has to be something tangible. You know, for some reason, we're always very scared to ask a client what they want. And I always say, you are giving 100% or more to your clients because you value that relationship. So only thing that could go wrong if you ask what they might want <laughs> is they might say they want less right. of you. And how great is that, right? And I will also say, and last piece on segmentation is remove AUM from services, but also remove your deliverables. Deliverables are also taking a lot of our time. Mm-hmm. For example, does your client need every single time to see the 29,000 page financial plan you've generated? No. Would they like to see a net worth statement and some goals? Absolutely, mm-hmm. right? So looking at what deliverables fit each service model is really important so that you're not spending extra time. We've all done that. We've gone in and sat down with a quarterly performance report 
which is like three weeks old because the value was <laughs> was from December 31st, right? And we've sat in and, and that's not the value. Right. And we killed a tree in the process and our people were running around crazy trying to prepare for the meeting. They just wanted the relationship and, and, and the it's okay. And I think you make a great point because that, that's where I was going to go with some of the segmentation is everybody's like, yeah, this all sounds great, Chris. And you guys are talking about this stuff. How do I get this information? And sometimes you have to do the one thing that nobody actually ever does just ask your clients. Just exactly. ask your clients, and that, and you know that goes to like even with technology. And I want to train. This is a great transition because it's a mm -hmm. a matter with technology. It's like, oh, my clients will never download a mobile app. They'll never text right. me. They don't right. do that type of stuff. They'll never have a web conference. And I'm like, well, have you ever asked them if they would or right. what they how they like to be communicated with? Mm -hmm. And they're like, right. oh, I know my clients really well. I talked yeah. to them. So let's yeah. turn the trend. We've talked about a lot of the technologies from a back office operational stuff with the CRM. A lot of the talk in the industry is now saying, all right, that's what's been talked about for the past 10 years. Hopefully you're using those processes, which we've seen is maybe not the case, which you need to get back up to date. But now everybody's starting to talk about the client experience, the, uh, the experience that your clients have with your brand, your firm, and with their portfolio and their financial situation underneath you. How... Are you seeing that area of the technology sphere ecosystem evolve? And how are advisors using that or, or implementing those types of things? And, and what are some suggestions on the client experience interaction sure. side? Sure. No, I'm seeing it a lot. And you're absolutely right. Advisors are very, and planners are very scared to ask their clients, but pleasantly surprised if they do. And the way that I flip that back into technology as a full circle is ask your clients if they're interested, what type of communication, right? Should I be emailing you or calling you or texting you? Let's bring texting into one of the pure client experiences that we're seeing as value, right? We're also seeing technology supporting it. Smarsh and Global Relay are archiving this on behalf of regulatory requirements. Um, but we're also seeing areas in a CRM where that information can be documented, right? Mm -hmm. So create a field inside every record that says, email John Johnson, but call Samantha Johnson, right? It's what they prefer, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they are a platinum, let's put them as a, you know, a, a level three service model and let's document that in the CRM. So we're definitely seeing that the CRM can be a way to track all of it. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the ex client experiences, what I'm seeing as most popular is truly those client portals. Everybody's starting to talk mm -hmm. about it now. Mm -hmm. um, the truth, I hate to say it, is everybody in all other industries have adopted client portals way before we have. So we are already behind the eight ball. You just mentioned healthcare, right? I can't schedule a doctor appointment with my kids without going into a portal and signing up for the appointment, right? Mm -hmm. And if I do call, I'm getting texts and auto emails reminding me of my appointments and it's all automated. Um, I don't even order pizza anymore without using a mobile app or going online on my computer, on my laptop, and it just arrives. I don't talk to anybody. So for some reason, our industry feels as if we can't mm -hmm. utilize that because it undervalues the relationship. But let's flip that. Clients do want on-demand information. If they're up at two in the morning worrying about their finances, they want to be able to go somewhere and look at everything mm -hmm. and assess it. Also, I think what we're forgetting is that that client portal is not just for your clients. It's for the next generation. I'll use myself as an example. My mom lives in San Diego. I live in, in the Midwest. Okay. And so the only way that we can, and I'm an only child, I have nobody else. Mm -hmm. So 
when I look at needing to stay in touch with her and her advisors and her planners and her estate attorneys and all those people that kind of she's, you know, gotten together, the only way I do that is through video conferencing and online portals, mm-hmm. right? So I have access to, you know, so that that's a value that not only advisors can bring to the relationship, but guess what? It's also your succession. Mm-hmm. You create that relationship with the second generation so that when something does happen, those assets won't disappear. Mm-hmm. You've created that bond or that relationship. So client portals I'm seeing as very valuable because it allows you to share documents, right? You're not just sending a Dropbox link. You're actually showing them a portal that's branded to your firm that has more features than just sharing information, right? Uh, net worth. We can look at your liabilities and your assets. Right. Big value. Um, sharing those documents like a quarterly performance report. Some advisors love tracking spending, financial planning, fact-finding, all of those exist in a client portal, which I think is really important. And, and, and here's some breaking news to any advisor out there that, that I, I, don't, I hope it's not too breaking, but your clients, whether they, if, you have, if you don't have a portal, your clients are logging into the custodian probably yes. on a frequent basis. Yes. And so they're seeing Absolutely. red numbers, they're seeing black numbers. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is it's out of your control of how to position what mm-hmm. that performance looks like for them. In a portal, you have the ability to control the experience and then control how they view mm-hmm. each day and each night when they log in at 2 a.m. That mm-hmm. seems very nice to have, to be able to control the experience, to build the relationship, to help them understand because half the battle is educating throughout the process. It does. So, hallelujah. Number one is you're absolutely right. They are logging into custodians and you're actually sometimes creating a poor client experience because if you have a client that has assets at multiple custodians, they have multiple logins, are most likely locking themselves out or getting frustrated. And that has your name on it. Mm -hmm. That's attached to you as the advisor, right? As the experience. Also, technology is evolving. We are seeing institutional custodians now getting approval from compliance to share statements with certain client portals, mm-hmm. okay? So it eliminates the client needing to log in to TD Ameritrade or Fidelity or Schwab Institutional because those documents are f- filtering into your one client portal, mm-hmm. not six client portals, but just one. And I think that's very, very valuable. So I want to I want to transition into buy sell here, but I want to I don't want to okay. leave this conversation without kind of bringing out the crystal ball, right? This is not a financial <laughs> discussion if we don't bring out the crystal ball. And so mm-hmm. in, you know, 60 seconds or less, everybody's talking about the um, the future of the industry. There's people on one side saying there's going to be tons of consolidation. The other side says that there's going to be lack of human touch. There's then this constituency that's saying that we're going to be in the middle. The future of the industry, where do you see the future of the industry given how close you are and your experience in this industry Mm -hmm. over the past 15 years? Yeah, it's a tough one, 60 seconds or less. Um, I see it as financial planning centric. So I see the necessity and the value of the relationship will still exist, but not based on performance. Performance will be a piece of the train that is chugging through, but what's giving that train the power is the whole facts in a sense of the wealth management and the entire relationship, which means you must be financial planning. You must be asking the questions about family and goals and net worth. That's where I see it driving. And if that's the case, the relationship wins, not the robos and not the automations. They can help 
businesses. Mm -hmm. All of those tools, whether it's AI, whether it's robos, we're hearing a lot about them. I see many advisors bringing that into their firm. It's not running their firm and it's not replacing them. That's why you're one of the best in the industry. You can give such <laughs> a you. good point in less than 60 seconds and it's spot on. All right, let's Thank move you. over to buy, sell. So we took the crystal okay. ball out. Now let's move to buy, sell. My mm -hmm. cheesy rendition of trying to lump uh, technology and future mm -hmm. with financial advisors. So okay. I'm going to go through four of them. I'm going to say buy, sell. I'm going to give you the point. Let me know if you're a bull or a bear, buy or sell on each of these okay. points. And just give us a quick uh, reason why behind the, the, behind the, or a little rationale. So I'll start okay. buy or sell. There will be more technology options for advisors to sift through in the coming five years than there are today. Bye. There will always be more technology. The challenge is figuring out which ones are staying, which ones are going, and which ones are actually valuable for your firm. I say all the time, there's a ton of tech out there, but it doesn't mean it's right for you. Right, love it. Buy or sell, financial advisors are missing out on a huge growth opportunity with the mass affluent market. Um, I would buy and sell it. <laughs> so, so you're hedging um, your bet. I'm, I'm hedging right now. So here's why. Number one, you have to be the right advisor um, to and or financial planner in order to service those types of clients. And like anything that we've talked about today, you have to be passionate about it. So if it's not your type of client, and if that affluent client doesn't fit your business model and your services, and you're not interested, that's okay. It might be harder for you to gain growth and it might be more work, but that's okay as well. Yeah. So I think that it does take the right personality match between um, you know HNW clients to the advisors and the planners. If it's right for you, great. If it's not, you will still be able to sustain and grow. Yeah, and I think that you have to, what we talked about earlier is that you have to have the processes for that, for that demographic, yeah. for that growth mechanism. You better be the most very, very efficient and in terms of understanding your tech ecosystem and understanding your processes. Uh, and if it's not you, it's okay. That's fine. Exactly. Don't try to be exactly. someone you're not. And, and remember, just if you are efficient and you have everything tied so tightly, it doesn't mean that you're not giving that attention to your clients, right? right? We, I use the uh, Wizard of Oz approach and say, you know, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. That's what needs to be happening in your office and your client doesn't feel any different. They yeah. feel just as valued and special. I love it. Buy or sell greater than 50% of an advisor or advisor team's day-to-day -day is around items or tasks that aren't strengthening, are not strengthening the client relationship. Yeah, bye. It's more than 50. It's 99%. <laughs> Matt, 99. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, from, from my perspective, <clears throat> advisors are always doing more tasks and more medial things that either could be delegated, could be automated through technology or systems. It is... Um, probably one of the leading things that creates firms to be non-efficient. So um, I will say that sometimes advisors and planners pick the medial tasks because they're scared to grow. Yeah. Sometimes we the things we're comfortable doing and controlling the things we're comfortable doing rather than letting other people and technology help you along the way. And so I think that's where a lot of the coaching and consulting comes in is to say, if you were to get rid of that, that what would you want to do? Yeah. Right. That's the first thing you ask yourself. If I could give you two hours a week back, what would you do yeah. with that two hours? Some advisors might say, I would golf. I would spend time with my family. Um, I would rain make. I would go and start selling. 
the answer is completely up to you. But a lot of advisors have not decided what they would do with the time. Therefore, they continue to do the, the medial stuff. And it feels like they're making progress. It feels like I'm doing something when I do oh, some yeah. of the, I feel like I'm growing the business, but you're really not. And I think if there's a quote that we can take away from the from the conversation today, it's advisors need to be better at being comfortable being uncomfortable, right? That's the only thing you should be comfortable with is being uncomfortable. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that, um, so I run my business based off of a John Wooden quote, if you're familiar. He's um, an, an amazing writer, also professor and uh, coach, let's not forget. Um, but his quote is, if you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? Yep. And I find that to just be so relevant. When I say that quote, when I speak at conferences, everybody's heads nod, no matter what your business is, and no matter what pos position your business is currently facing. Yep. So um, yeah, you That's can continue to just do the small things and um, run in your hamster wheel. But if you'd like to do it right one time only, you might have to strategize first. Get uncomfortable, I agree. Last ah. one, you're pretty bullish, except for the hedge, the little hedge there in the middle. <laughs> Buy or sell, financial advisor firms need to spend more time with their technology once it is bought. Yeah, bye. Why? I guess that you're seeing a trend. Uh, why? Um, there is a difference between usage and adoption. And that difference is specific to each firm and to be honest to each user so if you buy a portfolio management tool okay when you do that your trader will use that differently than your client service manager than your advisor than your planner so to think that one tool can suit all is very fair but how they use it and how they adopt it is very different um, how it integrates with systems how it is built into your processes are all the things you have to consider so yeah um, you know I, I talk about this often with all the recent conferences uh, that are going on and you walk into those vendor halls and take a deep breath and it's bling it's mm -hmm. bling um, and if you're going to buy the bling, you have to be prepared of the impact it will make. And also, let's be clear, that impact could solely just be on your bank account. Mm -hmm. We have firms that are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on technology and they know how to use about 10% of it. Mm -hmm. So whether it's an impact on people or your processes or whether it's just an impact on your bottom line of revenue, it's, it's important to pay attention to. Yeah, so very bullish and in agreement with a lot of that. Very <laughs> bullish, the bling. If you're gonna buy the bling, you gotta understand what comes with it. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that you can, I mean, marriages, anything of that nature, when you buy the ring, you gotta understand what's yeah. coming with it, right? It's gonna yeah, be ups, absolutely. it's gonna be downs. If you're not, then you shouldn't be buying the bling. Uh, yeah. I love that example by you. Uh, I uh, Another uh, episode of Buy or Sell is in the books and now, what I want to do for you is I'd love for you to give you know 90 seconds, take some time mm -hmm. to, to, to give the advisors and the listeners here on Bridging the Gap something that they can take into their firm tomorrow and really become you know more obsessed with processes that they can implement mm -hmm. to be efficient, um, that they can be a better firm uh, after hearing that. And then I'll do my takeaway and then we'll let everybody get back All to right. their day of, oh, of I work. I appreciate that. 
I think, um, number one, as a consultant in this industry, I think there's a lot of advisors and planners who think that people like me are not right for them. It's almost like asking for help. It's how we used to talk about going to counselors or <laughs> psychiatric evaluations. We never want to talk about it, right? <laughs> so I would like to take away this, the, the scared approach to, ooh, talking to a consultant can be scary. It is true. We walk around with um, a lot of change management in our blood, right? So I'll speak for all of us consultants. But I would say, if you do have questions, feel free to reach out. You know, you can go to my website, you can book a free call, we can talk strategy, and it's not going to cost you anything. <laughs> um, we are here because we want to help firms and advisors and planners grow. That's really my one passion. And so um, just asking some beginning questions can be really pivotal to push you towards a, a new track. Um, as far as takeaways or impactful takeaways, I believe in simplicity to start. Uh, for my clients, I do what's called a, a tech stack graphic. It's very simple, literally has boxes on it where you put the logo of all the tech you use into each box. It's kindergarten-esque at best, but what it does is give you a visual, number one, to see where your holes are, and number two, it offers you a document to give to your custodial relationship managers, to give to the vendors when you're talking to them, to, you know, when they ask you, what are you using for CRM? What are you using for financial planning? And the list goes on. You can literally just send them a PDF and say, here's everything. Mm -hmm. I'm ready for our call. So if anybody's interested in that, I give that away. I, uh, nothing that I do is proprietary because we're all talking about the same stuff. It's how we leverage it that makes a difference. So anybody is welcome to email me or, or hit up my website, and I'm happy to share that blank template with you. Like I said, it's not earth shattering, but it's a first step that I think firms could really just start to document their entire ecosystem, which is really important. When you see those logos on a page and you suddenly realize, oh, wait, I don't think those two talk to each other. That was silly. Maybe we need to look at this. Or what is our biggest pain point? Mm -hmm. um, it also is helpful when you walk into operations meetings, right, to have that graphic so everybody can see it, to start to talk about hurdles within each role. So um, I think don't have stage fright. I guess is my takeaway. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of firms that are researching, talking with vendors, going to conferences, and then they wait six months and then they research and talk to the vendors. <laughs> and then suddenly rinse and repeat is happening year after year. So try to take action so that you're not in, not in so much stage fright these and days. I love it. And then you're far, far behind that technology stack. Um, one page or documentation mm -hmm. is amazing. I've seen it. It works. It's getting the information out of your head onto paper. And that right. is so valuable. Kristen, stay with us. I'm going to take, I've been, I've been on a trend here of taking a little bit longer than my 90 seconds uh, because these are big things that we're talking about and I want to make sure I yeah. get my thoughts out. So uh, I'm going to do this and then we'll be back right real quick. So my, my closing thought today is the financial advisory space, in my opinion, is undergoing a transition in focus in regards to technology. For the past 10 years or so, we were always focused on finding technologies that made the back office or really where the work is done more efficient. It made sense. The more efficient our teams were equals more relationships, less strain on the team, and more time face-to-face -face with our end clients. But our clients are now engaging with more and more technology 
every day. Whether you have a 30-year-old client or a 70-year-old client, the odds are pretty strong that they each carry a very similar phone, an iPhone. And on that iPhone, they are likely doing many of the same things, checking email, texting, surfing the web, and maybe playing words with friends or checking Facebook or Instagram. They surely are FaceTiming with family and looking over all their memories in their photo stream. The fact is clients, both young and old, are engaging with technology. And they may not admit it, but because they don't want to be associated with us younger folk, my dad being one of them, he would admit to using Facebook in a blue moon, but somehow that blue moon always happens when I'm walking by his office or seeing his constant responses and sharing of posts. And so as a financial advisory firm, we must find a way to be a part of our clients, quote, new life, the life they live 99.9% of the time when they aren't sitting in front of you at the office. And that means we need to find ways to be accessible to our clients via these mediums they use daily, deliver our clients valuable information via the mediums they use, and allow them to follow through on tasks via these same mediums that they're getting to know better and better every day. This means delivering content on Facebook, using email marketing to tailor the content based on users' desires. It means using social media to engage with your clients and understand more about them and also finding ways to engage with clients via text messaging. A portal is an amazing start to giving your clients accessibility to their financial situation, but we know that our relationship is built on much more than just showing them their numbers or their risk tolerance. Our relationship hinges on understanding the human and helping them easily get fulfillment in their retirement or income building years. Engaging with them via technology, actually engaging with them via technology they're already using is the way we not only become more efficient and valuable, but it's how we strengthen the most important thing in this industry, the human relationship. To Kristen Schmidt of RIA Oasis and to all of the listeners out there, thank you all for your time today. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 